those testimonies are really what it's all about. Amen? Um, that's why we do what we do. And uh, I never want to rush these baptism Sundays because we always say it here at Crossbone, we're in it for the stories, right? And so when stories happen, we want to give space to be able to share those. So if you don't know who I am, I'm Joel Repick. I'm lead pastor here at Crestmont, and I'm so uh, glad that you joined us, especially on this special day when we got to celebrate the baptisms that we did. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Uh, it will be on the screen behind me as well, or you can get there on your phone. Um, last week, we started this new preaching series in the book of Acts, and we will be in this into the early part of the summer then we're going to take a break for the summer, and then we'll revisit it in the fall. But Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament, the first four books we've been studying for the last three years together, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that summarize for us the ministry and teaching and death and resurrection of Jesus. And the book of Acts is the next part of the story about how God used the early church by the Holy Spirit uh, to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. So I'm excited to be in this new series with you. Uh, we pointed out last week that both Luke, one of the Gospels, and the book of Acts have the same author. Uh, his name is Luke. We believe that he was a physician, and he wrote these books together as a two-volume set. So last week, we looked at the introductions to both the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament as well as the book of Acts, and we're going to be doing some more of that today because it really is one story. Um, before we get too far today, I just want to remind you real quick of a definition that I want us to keep in the forefront of our minds as we're looking in the book of Acts because it's going to be talking about the church again and again and again. And this needs some clarification because in our culture, when we talk about the church, sometimes we mean a building, sometimes we mean a certain congregation. But when the book of Acts is talking about the church and all of the people in it. It's really talking about the worldwide family of God. Um, all of us um, are part of the same family, and that family is not a respecter of denominational lines, right? Um, or of race or class. Um, all of us are part of the same family. We believe in one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And baptism is the sign that Jesus commanded to bring us into the family, what we've been uh, celebrating today. So when we talk about the church, we're talking about this uh, big family. And last week, um, I mentioned to you three things to keep in mind as we look at the book of Acts. The first is that the main character of the book of Acts really is not Peter or Paul or even the church. The main character of the book of Acts is God himself, right? He's the one who's moving things forward. He's the one who's calling the shots. He's the one who's empowering. He's the one who's directing. He's the one who the church prays to and praises. And so God himself is the main character of the story, which means it might be surprising to us. We mentioned last week that the story is so messy for God being the main character. Because in this story where God is the main character, we also see a lot of mess in the book of Acts. Um, there's conflicts and opposition and setbacks and suffering, and we're going to be seeing that as we move forward in this series. But throughout all of this, as God is the main character and as the story is messy, what gets prioritized in the book of Acts is the mission, right? God has filled and empowered his people so that they can be on mission. The church is sent in the book of Acts to the ends of the earth. So those are some things to keep in mind as as we look at this passage today. Now, the passage that we're going to be reading 
um, is often called in the church the ascension of Jesus. Um, it's the account that Luke gives us of Jesus giving his final words to his disciples after his death and resurrection. So Jesus has been physically killed, physically resurrected. He's physically with his disciples. They're not seeing a ghost or a vision. They're seeing the physically alive and present Jesus in their midst. And Jesus gives them his final words, and then he literally lifts off the ground in front of them and returns to heaven. And the New Testament has a lot to say about the meaning of this. So we're going to read the first 11 verses of the book of Acts. Today, if we could stand to our feet in honor of God's word, you can follow along. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, remember that former book is the book of Luke, all right? In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. You may be seated. All right, there's often four questions that we use here at Crestmont when we look at a passage of Scripture to give us some understanding of what's being communicated about who God is and who we are. And we're going to use those four questions today. So the first question we often ask is, who is God? My answer to that in this passage this morning is that Jesus, who we believe to be fully God, right? Fully man and fully God. That's our confession about him. That Jesus is the ascended Christ. That is, he has been ascended to a place of glory and honor and authority into heaven. And that word Christ just means anointed one or chosen one. It's not just Jesus' last name, right? Jesus Christ. Um, it's a title, right, that we use for Jesus uh, to express that the Father has chosen this one to be the one who would save the world from their sins. He's our Savior. So this morning we're saying Jesus is the ascended Christ. Now to understand fully what I'm saying about this, I want to put the passage that we read this morning into a broader context of the flow of Luke's thought in both the books of Luke and Acts, all right? Um, if we can just for a minute look at things from a thousand-foot view and see 
the flow of thought that Luke is developing, it will give us greater understanding into the passage today. So to do that, just real quick, I want to turn back to Luke chapter 1, which if you remember, Luke chapter 1 is actually the introduction, not only to the book of Luke, but also to the book of Acts, because it's a two-volume set. And in Luke chapter 1, Luke says exactly what the purpose of his writing is about. He says two things, that he's writing about the things that have been fulfilled among us. This is going to be a theme all the way through the book of Acts. The things that have been fulfilled among us. Well, fulfilled according to who? Fulfilled according to God. Because remember, he's the main character of the story. God had a purpose in history. God had a plan. And it's God's purposes who are being fulfilled all the way through the story. And furthermore, Luke wants us to know that these things have been fulfilled so that we may know the certainty of the things which we have been taught. He's writing to a group of people who maybe have started to wonder, um, is this plan actually going to work out? Is this going somewhere? Are God's purposes going to get fulfilled? How many of you have ever felt that way in your life before, right? Is this actually going to happen, right? Well, Luke is saying one of the reasons he wrote these books, Luke and Acts, is to reassure us. There's a certain comfort that we ought to get from this study as we do it together because Luke wrote these things so that we might be certain of the truths that we have been taught and that God's purposes will be fulfilled. Well, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, you'll remember that this is a story where Jesus is already resurrected, physically alive, and he appears to two of his disciples and walks with them along a road. And the scriptures tell us that he begins to open for them the Old Testament, the, the big first part of your Bibles, right? He opens the Old Testament and he begins to tell them how all of that was pointing to him. So he says this in verse 44. This is the words of Jesus. Everything must be fulfilled. There's that word again. He's talking about the overall purpose and plan of God. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms is basically a summary of the entire Old Testament, of everything that God did in the Old Testament from creation moving forward, all the ways that he spoke, all the miracles that he performed, all of the stories that we tell our kids in Sunday school, Jesus is making this bold claim that all of that over those hundreds and hundreds of years was pointing to one person who's the center of history, who's the center of God's plan and purpose in all of human history, and the center of God's purpose and plan in all of human history is the person of Jesus Christ, right? Jesus claims this for himself. All of God's purposes have found their culmination in this one God-man, Jesus. And Jesus says this to his disciples. So in Acts chapter 1, then, when Luke picks up the story and he says, In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Luke is saying, Now I want to continue this story. And what's the story about? The story is about the plans and purposes of God in history. Luke is connecting what he's writing in the book of Acts to that overarching story. It's not some just sequel to Luke, right? It's not just a prologue to the main part of the story, right? He's saying, what I'm about to write about in the book of Acts 
is connected to everything that God has done in all of human history. Why is it connected? Because Jesus is the main character of the story. And this then begs a question, where is Jesus now? Right? If Jesus is the main character of the story, if Jesus is the one the story is all about, then Luke has a question to answer in the first chapter of the book of Acts, and it is, where is Jesus now? It's a question that the people he was writing to might be wondering. Because maybe they never even saw Jesus physically. Maybe they had only heard the eyewitness account. So Luke has to answer this question, where is Jesus? Here's Luke's answer in, in Acts chapter 1. Jesus is ascended to the right hand of God the Father, where he sits in glory and power and authority. He is very much alive, but not only is he alive, he sits in a place of power and authority over all of the events of human history. God's purposes are still finding their culmination in this one person of Jesus. Now, there is deep theological meaning in the New Testament concerning this. The Apostle Paul says this in the book of Ephesians. If you want to know what the ascension means in the eyes of Scripture, listen to this. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, Paul is talking about the power of God that amazingly, we're going to say more about this in a second, that amazingly has been shared with us. He's talking about a power that's accessible for us that comes from God, and he says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him, now he's talking about his ascension, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Friends, it's true. At Christmas, we remember that Jesus came as a little boy. And it's a beautiful thing to picture and remember Jesus as an infant. It's a wonderful thing to celebrate. We do it every year. At, at Good Friday, we remember that Jesus hung on a cross for us, right? The vulnerability of love, it's amazing that, that this, this man who's fully God would make himself vulnerable for us like that and suffer for us like that. But friends, you have to understand this before we go any further with this passage. The Jesus that we sing to and pray to today is not a little infant in a manger, and he's not a weak and broken man hanging on a cross. He is ascended to the right hand of the Father. That's who we pray to today. He is above every power, every authority, above every human king, human government, and above every angel and every demon. He sits in authority over it all. And we're going to find out that the authority that he has, he shares with us. God is in the process of putting all of Jesus' enemies, everything and everyone that opposes him, under his feet. And because that authority is shared with us, it means we get to experience that too. If Satan is under Jesus' feet, Satan is under our feet as well. All right? That's who we pray to. That's where Jesus is. Luke has to answer this question before he moves on in the book of Acts. Where is Jesus? Because Jesus is the main character of the story. Jesus is in a, power of a, is in a place of power and authority in heavenly realms. So who is God? He is the ascended Christ. So 
What does that mean that we are? And I'm going to be asking the question in the plural, I think moving forward, not just who am I, but who are we? Because the book of Acts is not a story of just about individuals, but it's a story of a community of people who are experiencing Jesus together. So who are we? Well, we are under his authority, and we share in his authority. If Christ is ascended, if he sits at the right hand of God, then we are both under his authority and we share in his authority. I don't know if you've ever been part of a nonprofit or an academic institution, but often these organizations have founders that are celebrated long after their deaths, right? Chelsea and I went to a college in Georgia. The founder of our undergraduate, where we got our undergraduate degrees, the founder of that college was a man named R.A. Forrest, an author and academic and pastor, amazing life story. When we came in for student orientation, you know, they wanted us to read his life story and to understand um, what he did. Why? R.A. Forrest has been dead for a long time. It's because they want to preserve some of the original intent that maybe R.A. Forrest had in his heart, right, for the institution. But guess what, friends? No matter how, how hard they try to do that, R.A. Forrest is dead, right? He's not around anymore. This is what the ascension means. Jesus is absent from the earth physically, but it does not mean that he is absent in his activity on the earth, right? The bold claim of the book of Acts is that Jesus is still in charge of the thing he started, right? He still is president. He still is chairman of the board. He's still king of the kingdom that he started because he didn't just start an organization called the church. He started a kingdom of which he is still king, right? So we're not just looking back trying to wonder and imitate something that happened 2,000 years ago. We learn from it, but we interact now with a living Jesus who is still head of the church, who still rules us. He never gave up his position of authority when it came to the church, right? So we are still under his authority. But this is the amazing thing about God. Even though Jesus has all authority, he loves to share the authority that he has. It's incredible. And we're going to see this again and again through the book of Acts. It's, it's amazing that the teaching in the New Testament about Jesus' ascension, that he has all power and all authority, that he's seated with the Father, where he rules over everything in the earth, and where his purposes will be fulfilled, this unopposable power that he has. The teaching in the New Testament is that that is the authority that he shares with us. Here's what it says in Ephesians 2.6, that we are seated with him in heavenly realms. There's a sense in which because Jesus is ascended, we are ascended too. It's amazing. That's our position. Do you know that? That's our position. That's where we get to sit in a spiritual sense with our enemies, with Jesus' enemies under our feet with the authority that comes from Jesus. It's not our own. We wouldn't have any authority on our own. It's just that Jesus shares with us what he has received from the Father. He's pleased to do that again and again and again because we get to be part of the family. So this means we're under authority, but we also share in his authority. So what might this mean about what God is saying to us? Well, Luke does something else in Acts chapter 1. He sets up some understanding for us about the age, the period of human history in which we live today. 
Now, if you've been with us in the last few years, we've been talking about this all the way through our last sermon series. We've talked about the kingdom of God. Put very simply, the kingdom of God is wherever God is ruling, wherever God is making wrong things right, there you can find the kingdom of God. Jesus made this claim to his disciples as he was healing and casting out demons and teaching that in him, the kingdom of God was invading the earth. So after his resurrection... And this, um, there's this amazing moment of victory. Um, the disciples see that he has come through our greatest enemy, death, and he is alive on the other side of it. They ask him this question in verse 6, is it time now to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're saying, okay, you defeated death. Does that mean this whole thing is over? Is the next thing, the end of all human history, where you, Jesus, are going to rule in power, vanquish everything that opposes what's righteous and good, and set up your perfect rule so that we don't have to experience what's wrong in the world anymore? And much to their surprise, I'm sure, Jesus tells them that it's none of their business. Right? He says to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. He's saying, hold on, hold your horses. There's still another age of human history coming. And this was unanticipated, I promise you. Not just by the disciples, but probably by many of the religious scholars of the day. Jesus tells them something else. No, this isn't the time. It's going to come in the future. But what I'm going to do in the meantime from my ascended place is I'm going to pour out my power. I'm going to share my authority with my church. You go to Jerusalem and you wait for the gift that I promised you. Uh, John the Baptist baptized with water. We celebrate water baptisms today. But Jesus is saying, you're about to receive a baptism in fire that's going to get you through this next phase. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to have my power. You're going to have my presence. You're going to have my authority in the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we'll be talking about that in the next few weeks. And then he lifts off the ground. He goes to his heavenly uh, dwelling and... And then the disciples are left there looking, you know, wondering the meaning of all this. And there's two angels that say to them, look, there's a time that's going to come when you saw Jesus go, you're going to see him come back. And that's going to be the end of things. What all of this means together is that the age in which we live, which started after Jesus' resurrection, is an age in which the kingdom of God is here, but not here yet, Right? We experience the kingdom of God, but we're still waiting for the kingdom of God. It means that this time, this time space in which we live right now is a time where there's not one kingdom, but two kingdoms on the earth, a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. And what this necessarily means, you have to understand this, is that this age has to be then an age of suffering, right? Because there's conflict, because there's a kingdom of light, but there's also a kingdom of darkness. It means that this thing about following Jesus can be very, very up and down. But remember, Luke wrote Luke and Acts to reassure us in such a time as this. To comfort us in the age in which we live. And he wants to put first, to settle it in our minds so we understand moving forward in the story. Because the story's about to get messy. There's going to be all kinds of persecution and suffering and setback and opposition. He wants us to remember at the beginning of the story where Jesus is in the midst of all this. And Jesus is ascended. 
Jesus is the right hand of the Father. He wants us to remember this. So let me just offer to you two maybe applications we could take from this, and you can develop your own. But I want to say this. If we walk in anxiety, this might be what God's saying to us. If we walk in anxiety, if that's like a way of life for us, then we might be forgetting that Christ has been ascended. Right? Um, for some of us, fear is is uh, like an ad- the adrenaline rush that we need to feel in control. Um, we're actually dependent on it to feel safe, you know, to feel like we can handle this. But I think something happens when we remember where Jesus is in the struggle. And, and I'm not being, like, cheap. I understand this can be really, really hard. The book of Acts is going to bear that out. This can be really, really hard, but I'm just saying... In everything that we face, every opposition, every challenge, every setback, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father with all power and authority. And that means that while we might experience fear, fear is not our identity, right? Because our identity is that we are seated with him in heavenly realms. And no situation, no circumstance, no feeling, emotion could ever take that from us, right? He has made it that we are seated with him forever. And it's not, it's not only true for us as individuals, it's also true for us as a church. There's a lot of churches that never walk into their full destiny of calling and influence because of fear, right? Fear of the unknown. Fear what people might think. Fear of risking, right? Fear of the mission. But you're going to see incredible boldness in the face of suffering in the book of Acts. Where does that come from? It's because they know where Jesus is. And he has shared his authority with them. This brings me to my second point, that maybe if I walk as a victim, if that's my identity, I'm forgetting that Christ has ascended. Now let me be very clear what I'm not saying. Victimization is real. You need to know that. People who are victimized, who are hurt, it's a real thing. And we ought to always believe when people open up their stories to us of victimization. Many of you in this room know the sting of that pain very, very well. It's real. But here's what it means that Jesus has ascended. It means that while I may have been victimized, my identity is not a victim forever. Right? I might experience real pain, And we ought to not be in denial about the pain. You can't heal, you can't forgive without fully grieving the pain. That's part of the healing process. It's just that the reason I can face that pain is because that pain is not my identity forever. Why? Because Christ is ascended. He shares his authority with me, which means no matter what wounds were thrown my way, no matter how people hurt me, no no matter how hard the devil pushed, God's authority has been shared with me, so I am empowered. See, because Christ has ascended, even in the midst of my fear, my identity is that I'm safe. See, because Christ has ascended, even in the midst of my victimization, my identity is that I'm empowered. Right? The enemy wants to take that from us, but knowing that Christ has ascended means that I can walk in that freedom. And this means something for us as a church, too. Church, can I tell you something? I, sometimes I hear so much victim talk in the church among church leaders about church stuff. You know, well, the culture isn't what it used to be. People don't respect us anymore. No one comes to church. It's very easy to get whiny, right, about the mission. But listen, Jesus is on the throne. Church, do you think Jesus is surprised that the culture changed? 
Do you think that Jesus is wringing his hands over the direction of the nation? Do you think that he is, has anxiety about who is or who is not president? I mean, give me a break. This is Jesus ascended at the right hand of the Father with everything put under his feet, right? And this means as we evaluate where God is calling us, we get to do it from a position of empowerment, not from a position of defense and victimization, right? It puts us on the offense in love instead of on the defense in fear. Um, I want that in the culture of what it means to be the church. If a musician could come forward. Um, just as I close, I want to bring up the fourth question here. So if, if God is the ascended Christ, if we're under his authority, we share in his authority. If, if God might be speaking to us about our fear and our victimization, then what are we going to do about it? Well, we're going to walk in the authority that's ours because Jesus has ascended, right? I just want to share with you a quick story as I close here. If the prayer ministers could come forward and maybe you can sit on the front pews and, and be ready. Um, I heard a phenomenal story in Atlanta this last winter. And it really spoke to me on, on this issue. We were at a prayer gathering and there was a, a leader from a church in, in uh, Ethiopia. And um, on one hand, Ethiopia... Many of the Christians there are experiencing increased persecution like they haven't in many, many decades. Um, on the other hand, they're seeing God just work revival in their midst. I mean, just decades and decades of, of incredible stories of how God is healing and saving and changing. And so, so this pastor uh, very humbly shared this story about how there was a town um, where one of their churches and their association of churches where their church met and there was a new thought religious movement that began to take shape in their town and, and the thinking kind of went like this. We were oppressed by Arab people who tried to force onto us Islam. There's some truth in that history. Um, we were oppressed by white people who tried to force onto us Christianity. Sadly, there's some truth in that history. And so in the town, this movement grew. We need to get back to our ancestral gods, right? So they organized this sacrifice to rededicate the town uh, to their ancestral gods. And so they're going to sacrifice this bull. There was going to be this um, you know, celebration surrounding it. But there was a group of Christians there. And the people who were organizing this event started to say, you have to participate. Um, in what we're doing, because this is a whole town thing. You need to participate in it. And you know how these Christians responded? They didn't respond in fear, because um, you know what fear will very often turn into? It'll turn into anger. And then we start taking things into our own hands and think that we have to respond to what feels like persecution in unholy ways, right? Fear will often turn into anger and aggression. They didn't choose that. Um, but on the other hand, they decided to not walk like victims as e either. You know what they did? They decided to call three days of prayer and fasting. See, that is the response of a people who know that Christ has ascended. If Jesus is in a place of all power and authority, a people who really believe that will have a knee-jerk reaction to pray again and again and again. Why? Because we face a challenge, we'll just talk to them about it. We face an obstacle, talk to them about it, right? We have someone we can go to who not only has all authority, but very apparently is willing to share it, 
right? And we're going to see that again and again in the book of Acts. And so they just began to pray. I think I'm telling the story correctly as I remember it. But something like this happened. On the day of the event, this big storm blew in in response to their prayers, a lightning storm. And I believe it struck the main street of the town and split the street open and caught the tents on fire where they were supposed to be having the event. Now, here's the thing about that story. That's just believing that Jesus is actually where Luke says he is in the book of Acts. He's ascended. He'll fight our battles for us. No need to respond in anger or fear. No need to use victimization as our identity. We can just trust in this Jesus who loves us and is with us. Amen? Right. If our prayer ministers could come stand up front, if you could stand to your feet, let me just pray over you. Lord, we believe that you are ascended and that you will return. And we trust the purposes of God throughout human history and the purposes of God even in our own community. We trust you. Holy Spirit, come. Come into the places of fear and minister the confident reassurance that you are who you say you are and you are where you say you are at the right hand of the Father. Lord, come in the places of wounds and victimization. Lord, help us to grieve well. And then, Lord, speak to us that truth that you are at the right hand of the Father, that all of our enemies are under your feet because you protect us. So, Lord, we pray that you'd come and work that in us, and not, not just as individuals, but as a church. Lord, we want to be a church that aligns ourselves as a community of people underneath the ascended, risen, exalted, glorified Lord Jesus Christ. So we align ourselves under your authority and power today. In Jesus' name.